Greetings, shopmates, and welcome to Tinkering Bells, a show about DIY, design, and all things hands-on. The sky's the limit as we talk props, metalwork, cosplay, woodwork, leather, electronics, and so much more. I'm Tim Robertson, your host, so strap on your tool belts because we're about to get into some skill sharing, y'all. Today, I'm going to be joined by a maker who has taken skill building all the way back to the beginning, learning to build with traditional techniques and tools while creating a self-sufficient homestead. I don't want to give away too much, but this maker is known for adorable fuzzy bums. So if that doesn't make you want to stick around and hear more, then you might be at the wrong podcast. But first, let's go ahead and have our tech talk of the day. So we're going to be talking to a maker today who has a distinctly traditional tool built into her logo, dividers. So let's back it up and learn, where do dividers get their start? First, I want to start by clarifying that while the terms divider and compass are used interchangeably, they are in fact different tools. The compass is a drafting instrument that has one pen or pencil and one sharp point that is positioned at the center of a circle to be described. While a divider has two sharp points, one for the center and one for scribing or marking. Dividers were known both to the Greeks and the Romans. And there's actually a sketch from 1245 showing a divider with a circular sector or wing connecting the two legs. In the Middle Ages, the divider was the principal tool of the architect working on full-scale layouts of stonework, such as in the construction of cathedrals. Such dividers were large, often half as tall as a man. Through time, the divider underwent refinements, making it an important drafting instrument. Leonardo da Vinci, for instance, suggested improvements that included the knuckle joint hinge to increase rigidity and the adjustable proportional divider. As one of the earliest and most basic types of mathematical instruments, the divider has continued to show its value even today as it continues to be used for geometrical operations such as scribing circles and taking off and transferring dimensions. They continue to be a tool utilized by mathematicians, designers, and craftsmen alike. Well, that's it for your tech talk. As always, you can join in on the conversation with my maker friends and me on the Tinkering Bells Instagram and Twitter pages. Just search for Bells Tinkering, hit follow, and share your DIY adventures together with us. Have a tool you want to learn about? Let me know and it may be featured in a future episode. Tell us what you liked, what you hated, or possibly even what we missed. Now we're going to be getting into the main event, and I am so excited to introduce you to our next maker. So drum roll, please. Presenting Anne. Anne, thanks for joining me. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. So I want to start by telling people where can they find you, follow you, and what should they expect to see when they go there? If you type in Anne of all trades, you should be able to find me all, all over the internet. Uh, you can find my blog, my Instagram, my YouTube channel, my TikTok. And when you're looking in those places, you will find sarcasm often, but more importantly, building, blacksmithing, fine furniture, and definitely a lot of animals and farming stuff because that's who I am and what I do all the time. <laughs> I, I do some light internet stalking before I get ready for these. And like, it is, it's amazing to see what you put out there because so much of it is like, traditional tools and traditional making and it's like the true craftsmanship that goes into hand making things is there something that like draws you 
to like the vintage olden day styles of making or what inspires that for you? Uh, I always say that I was born about 200 years too late. I have been absolutely obsessed with history and just the way things were done for, I mean, since since I can remember. In fact, when I was a kid, which actually it probably started here, but when I was a kid, my, my mom would take me to this place called the Heritage Place where it was kind of, I mean, it was a j super janky version, we were poor, but um, it was a living history museum where you could go and churn butter uh, or, you know, milk cows or use use antiquated tools, like cook on the wood, wood fired stove. Um, it was very, very cool. And I like that was my favorite place growing up. And to this day, actually, living history museums are uh, I'm not really much of a tourist, but I will go to a living history museum and spend, you know, 12 hours just till they kick me out. That's amazing. I actually remember like growing up, we had one, it was really far away because I grew up in like a no stoplight town and like we would drive like three hours on a school field trip and we would go to this place called Popular Grove Plantation and it was the same way, but they never let us play with anything. Like we weren't allowed to touch the tools or churn the butter. Like we got to watch them do it and there was like a rope partition that if you try to like sneak under which I did often you got in a lot of trouble <laughs> so it's like I just want to play yeah. I want to play with especially I loved the giant spindle is it called a spindle that you make like yarn on and you like actually like yeah the wheel. wheel yeah like that that was always yeah. my favorite thing to watch because I think I just loved the giant wheel going around and around I don't know what that says about me but I was really into the circular <laughs> like the the miracle of all the things that we take for granted now understanding what it actually takes or took to get to get that stuff back in the day has just yeah like i said just fascinated my, my entire life and so i kind of have had a desire as an adult to recreate that kind of experience here on my own farm and so when it came to woodworking, I was really drawn to the antique tools, I think mostly for that reason. And, you know, I wanted to, I, I love the idea of just setting up a space that is, you know, looks like you could just walk through history. So you guys can't all see what's behind me here, but I mean, aside from my air conditioner behind me, this I'm sitting in my office and my office is, is that you can walk in here and it it feels like you're walking back in time. And that's kind of, I've wanted to create that kind of experience everywhere on the farm. Um, and so that's, that's where the old tools come from, but also it's just so cool to take a piece of history, restore it, and then use it to make more history. That is amazing. And for those of you that are listening, um, I will include uh, a video snippet of this so you can see Anne's amazing shop on my YouTube, just head over. There'll be a playlist for Tinkering Bells. And as always, the fun moments will be captured there. Um, so, and you you actually ran a self-sufficient homestead, correct? Like, I, I don't know, are you yeah. setting that up in your new location as well? Yeah, so we lived in Seattle for five years and I it was an absolute garbage dump when I bought it. And that is what I, what I like to call now my most successful flip, but it was a, a garbage dump when we got there and I turned it into a yeah fully self-sufficient homestead, which was just in the middle of the city, which was so cool for so many reasons. A, because I got to nerd out about all that kind of stuff all the time, 
but B, because it became a resource in our community where people like we were on a highway. So as you're driving by, you can see me out there working on my lead lines with my donkeys, like, you know, so that they training them to pull farm implements or, um, you know, in my garden and growing the food that our community ate and that kind of stuff. And it was um, it was a pretty special place. But I also was very excited to move on to the next thing. So a year ago, we moved to Nashville. And now I am doing the same thing, except on a much, much, much bigger scale now. And the goal is still um, actually more than even there. education. I'm building a craft school here and we'll teach disappearing life skills. That's really neat. And so my favorite part of the farm and probably like your post, obviously I love all the making and the tools, but the fuzzy farm butts. Can we talk about how, oh, yeah. much, how much of the fuzzy farm butts got to come from Washington to Tennessee? Did, did all of the fuzzy farm butts come or just some of them? Yeah, so that was a, a pretty tough tough one because we had to leave some of our animals behind really because it was for their in their best interest. And uh, so we had alpacas, donkeys, and goats, and chickens, and I mean, you know, other like cats, rabbits, dogs, those kinds of things. But uh, the alpacas that I had in Washington, I used them for fiber um, to, to make yarn, to spin and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But uh, they had come from a pretty hairy situation. No pun intended. Mm-hmm. <laughs> pun intended, <laughs> let's be honest. And so they had had a pretty rough life prior to coming to us anyway. And so when it came time to like look at a 55 hour trailer ride and just considering their background and everything and also changing climates like that much for a really fluffy animal that probably wouldn't be super fair to them. So the people who bought our farm in Washington wanted to keep it exactly how it was. And so to the point that they actually purchased animals of the same kind, the ones that we took with us, they purchased those same ones so that it would be exactly how we left it, Mm. um, which is so cool. But anyway, so we ended up having to say goodbye to the alpacas and leave them there. But they've been in like the best hands. And Daryl and Penny, the people who bought our farm from us, have given me regular updates and they're super happy. So we left the chickens, the geese, the ducks, the um, some of the bunnies, a couple of the cats. And then we loaded up a little trailer with my two miniature donkeys, three goats, uh, a cat, two bunnies, and drove... 55 hours to Nashville. So I've done a cross country trip with a four pound chihuahua. Like how does that, how do you walk the donkeys at the rest stops? Like how, how does that work with, with livestock? Well, so therein lies part of the challenge, even with the alpacas and also, I mean, everything worked out exactly how it needed to, but holy crap, it was a chore. But yeah, so donkeys and i mean any animal when you're trailering them they have a tendency to want to lay down or to not move around very much and so you need to keep their blood circulating or they like they could have a heart attack if their heart could stop because they're not getting enough circulation through their legs um and so in an ideal situation you would be stopping every couple hours taking them out of the trailer walking them around and all that stuff but weirdly right when we were moving there was uh some there was several um like like animal viruses that were going around. I mean, precursor to COVID that would come like two months later. So who knew? Um, But so we had been informed by our vet prior to leaving that A, we had to have 
all this paperwork, which like the amount of paperwork and visits and like everything, I had a binder like this thick that I had to have in case we got pulled over or anything else. But uh, because of this, we couldn't take the animals out of the trailer the entire trip. So I had to, we had to stop every couple hours. And also it was uh, the middle of winter. So, you know, it was like negative 12, I think was the coldest wow. it had. It was at one point. Thankfully, it was like an enclosed trailer and the animals, I mean, they weren't too cold or anything, but um, I would fill up water buckets. I would take them out to the trailer and like the water buckets were freezing on the way to the trailer. I mean, it was crazy. But yeah, so then I would get in the trailer with the animals. I would make sure that all of them got a drink and then I would take each one of them and like walk them around inside the trailer. And then we'd get back in the car and go four more hours and then do that again. And it was kind of, I mean, the whole situation, like I said, was crazy, but we were pulling the trailer with Adam's 22 year old SUV. And at one point, because of the high altitude and the load, we couldn't go, we were going like 10, 15 miles an hour wow. through like the entire state of New Mexico. It was crazy. <laughs> but anyway, we got here and now here we are. <laughs> I bet it was quite the adventure. It sounds like quite the adventure for sure. Wow. So you, so you actually do spinning. Do you like, do you have any animals left that you can spin yarn off of now or? So funnily enough, <laughs> I got more alpacas. <laughs> so since we've gotten here, we have expanded the farming endeavors significantly. So be, beyond the donkeys, the goats and the uh, cat and rabbit, we now have nine beef cows. I have a dairy cow. Uh, we've gotten a couple more goats and I got four alpacas that came home with me yesterday. And so those guys will shear them. And um, actually I can spin, I can knit, but I am not a spinner or a knitter. I just far prefer with some of those things that as much as I like to be in of all trades, there's certain things that I enjoy doing for fun, like once or twice a year with someone who is really good at it. And then I'm more than happy to pay them to do what they love and what they're good at to uh, facilitate the process going a tad quicker. I like that. You know, it's something that when I um, when I meet with young kid makers and young kid scientists, like especially the girls, I'm always like, you know, even if you don't love it, the, the point of it is to know how to do it. So you're not reliant on anyone else if you in a pinch need it. And then after that, you just decide if it stays a hobby or it's just something that I now have this skill, it's in my bucket, but I'm gonna leave it in the bucket most of the year. Like that, for me, that was cross-stitching. I was hoping it was gonna become something I loved because my grandmother really loved it. And then I did it for the happy hour secret Santa. and. I crossed it straight for like 12, 14 hour days for three weeks to get what <laughs> I thought was going to be a small task done. And I was like, yeah, I'm good doing that. Maybe once a year max. <laughs> like, it's definitely yeah. in my fingers. Sorry about the end. I, I, I prefer traditional sewing. I'm like, I'll just, I'll make a bigger thing versus this teeny tiny little, little thing. But so you do. Oh, your fingers hurt. Well, now your back's going to hurt because you just pulled <laughs> landscaping duty. <laughs> I actually like was really bad about stabbing. I guess that's why people wear thimbles, but like I can never keep them on my yes. fingers. And then I feel like, I, you know, like what are those little corn Frito things that you wear on your fingers, like as a witch? Like I feel like I'm doing that. So 
I was like, eh, I'll just, I'll do, I'll do traditional sewing and stick with that. And then if I need to do this again, I'll do it. But so is there a skill? Cause you do, you have so many skills. I mean, like you can blacksmith, you carve, you beekeep, you ferment, you, you raise, raise farm animals. You do all these amazing things. Is there one skill if you could teach every single young maker that you meet or old maker that you meet that you would want them to learn? Uh, that's a fantastic question. And actually I will to just say, I love that you are saying that to like your young makers about like, just learn the skill just so you have it. Because that, I encourage people that exact same thing. David Epstein wrote one of my favorite books. It's called range. And it talks about how, um, basically the, the myth of, of singular focus, um, because it turns out that the more things that you know how to do and the more range that you have, the more, the better problem solver you'll be ultimately. Um, and it goes through in the book, all these different examples of, of different people who were in a completely different field and then were thrown into this new field and like somehow used their experience from that other field to completely revolutionize that new field. And I think that that's something you know, um, jack of all trades. So Anne of all trades came from uh, that that phrase, jack of all trades, but master of none. Um, and that was, you know, that that initially started as an insult. Um, you know, that that's how people people were talking about a jack of all trades, but a master of none, as if it's an insult. Um, but really, it's it being a jack of all trades gives you the ability to be a far far better maker, farmer um you know citizen of this world because you're going to be able to have more experiences to draw from when it comes time to solve new problems um but i i think this is kind of a cop out because i teach these classes all the time um through through our online our online platform but i think that spoon carving is a very important um skill for like every maker to learn because there is so much more than just carving a spoon that that comes out of that. You can like if you if you stick with it for a little while, you learn how to I mean, you learn how to safely use tools, uh, sharp tools, which is huge. You learn about leverage and like how to use your body to get, you know, to to get power that you you don't need like strength to be able to do this. You just need to understand how leverage works and how to use it to your advantage. You learn about um, wood grain and how a tree grows and how you can um, either um, use its weakness to your advantage so that you can you know, remove more material quickly or how to use it to your advantage so that you can make really refined, small, beautiful pieces that have the strength of the tree growing through them. And so um, I think it's a really good skill to, to learn. And plus you can also, I mean, you learn about design you learn, you know, about body mechanics and yeah, it's, it's a, it's a good skill. I think that, I think that I would encourage most people to do it. Plus it's something that you can use free materials and a $25 knife and you don't have to have a shop full of tools. You don't have to have any of that stuff. And so I love doing it. Um, I, if, if my husband wants to watch TV or something like that, I'm not very good at sitting still. So I'll just sit there and carve a spoon and I stand up and sweep the little shavings out the front door and then you know, I have a spoon and we watch TV together. We had some quality time and there you go. So. I love that. And so, so thank you for coming to my TED talk about spoon carving. <laughs> I love it. And so actually, like, I would love to talk about that. So, so I wrote down range. I want to, I definitely want to like look further into this. So 
speaking about like being able to utilize all of these skills that you've acquired to enable you to not only innovate, but also to just have that ability to pivot, right? And I think during COVID, especially so many people have had to pivot, you know, like my, like my normal industry is television and speaking at large events and neither of those exist and they haven't existed since March of last year, you know? So it's, it's that ability to pivot. I think that's enabled a lot of us to, to be able to just kind of tighten the belt and, and survive through this experience. Um, and you've been doing this amazing thing with School of All Trades that you went out there to build and, and you had your, your friends come out and like help with like kind of an old school barn raising, right? Um, mm -hmm. But you guys have recently pivoted to where you're doing a lot of online classes. Can you talk about just how everything up until now has led you to being able to do this pivot so that you can still pursue this beautiful dream and make this a reality for people? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I, I always say that I've kind of, it's like I started at the top of the hill and I've just been rolling down it <laughs> ever since. Like it's like a long fall. <laughs> and and I, I don't like to discount because like, like, I've worked like my butt off mm -hmm. to get where I am. You know, I, I, I've like, learned how to overcome a lot of learning disabilities um, and, and not really overcome. I'm still gonna, I have to still deal with them every single day, but like at least face them and um, use them to, instead of hating like who I am as a person, like learn how to use those to help me grow and to be a better teacher. And I think really the way that those things have, have affected my life and then understanding how making and farming and has changed my life for the better and changed my like confidence and my, uh, satisfaction with my life for the better. I am really passionate about turning around and teaching those things. I think the, the struggles that I've had have, have made me a lot better teacher. I also often feel like really, really unqualified to teach. And I mean, also being a woman, I get told all the time that I am unqualified to teach. And I mean, I definitely like to start everything with a, like from a place of humility and just be like, look, I haven't been doing all this stuff for very long, but like, I also take research and reading and practice very, very seriously. And so I was able to advance in my crafts, <laughs> all of them, like quite quickly, because I read a couple books every single week, and, and I will research everything to death. And I will take that research and I'll put put it to practice. And so definitely that has helped me to advance in my craft. There's like other things that like, I came from a marketing background. So I knew how to market myself and I and I knew how to market what I'm doing but it's not because I'm trying like I don't care about fame or credit or anything else what I care about is seeing other people have the same kind of life realizations that I have had and I want to do whatever I can to facilitate that but to do that you have to they have to know that this is a possibility you have to market it to them mm -hmm. so I I think like my ability to market has has really facilitated any like everything that's led us up to this point so once it came time to start building the school you know i i was able to make that happen even though you know financial resources have never been my strong point i've al always known how to activate my community and how to how to make good things happen and so yeah the school was a big part of that but i was also kind of prepped to start a school because because of my marketing stuff uh, uh 
like uh how long ago was it five years ago i was offered a job running the woodworking education program at, at a craft school and so i got to do that for three years and and they had a blacksmithing program and welding and fabrication and glass blowing and um, drawing and painting and all these other things so i got to take classes there i got to see how other people were running their their programs i got to see you know i got to hire and fire and train and write curriculum for teachers um and that that kind of all led me up to where we are right now but then of course um i also have a, like the lion's share of my income comes from traveling and teaching classes speaking at public events obviously all of that went away with covid and then also building materials and supplies uh tripled in cost right in the middle of our building project uh also my mom who's who's terminally ill lives with us and so i couldn't i had to stop having people that were outside the bubble come over to help yeah so everything kind of just changed and really though um the goal all along with the school was not necessarily to have like hordes and hordes of people come here it was actually to pro have small classes of people that really were intentional about learning but more than that, to create a, a studio, like a video studio to film these things and make them more widely available and accessible to the public. Mm -hmm. And so, and in so doing that, I would also provide earning, uh, earning opportunities for teachers who don't have the ability to market themselves the same way that I do. Um, and so it was not ideal that we had to stop construction or that I lost all my income or like anything else but we realized that at the start of the pandemic like these skills that we want to teach they're more important now than they ever have been before and um and actually i would say that they're actually exactly the same amount of important as they always were but like people are actually ready to listen right now and they will really are desperate to learn and so it's been um i i'm a i'm not a perfectionist but i care about quality a lot um i think that that like kind of i i care about you know, well-built furniture. I care about like the best quality food from the garden. I like equality is very important to me. Um, and so I, I had this idea of this beautiful online platform we were going to build and it was going to be, you know, you know, the user experience was going to be amazing and all this stuff. And that was what I wanted to show the world when we, when it was time to teach those online classes, but well, it was either don't teach classes or figure out the lowest, like the smallest possible iteration that would allow us to actually do that. So we used the Squarespace scheduling app on my website. We started teaching classes on Zoom and, you know, they weren't perfect. They weren't as interactive as we wanted them to be, but um, we've taught like hundreds of people how to carve spoons during the pandemic, which is amazing. And now we're adding other classes like, you know, business building classes and things like that, that, I mean, hopefully, provide people with a resource and at the very least some skills that that help them in their lives um, that that increase their own range some enjoyment in a kind of a crappy lonely time and you know on a bigger scale possibly provide them with skills that can help them to earn extra income um you know business building things that that help them to get a little bit more financial security uh, or, you know, time management things that help them to get their priorities straight and have time to to invest in the things that, that are important to them, those kinds of things. Anyway, that was a uh, very long winded. My apologies. No, that was perfect. Um, and, and just for everyone listening, um, 
I'm going to put a link in, in the podcast. Definitely go check out School of All Trades, show your support for it, help, um, help bring this amazing journey and dream uh, to fruition. Anything you guys can give, any support, like definitely do that. And uh, I can't, I can't wait. Like this is actually like long-winded is, is perfect because I think it's so important um, in this, and this is going to sound really judgmental, but in this superficial world that we all exist in right now, where everyone's only getting that that surface layer of the people around them um, and, and only seeing the highlight reels, it's so beautiful to hear all of the actual steps that led you to where you are, because you're exactly right. Like you've worked your butt off to get to this point and you're still working your butt off to get to that next point. And I think a lot of people... They see the numbers, they see the, the likes, they see the follows, they see the subs, they see all these things and they think, well, why can't I have that? But then they're not at the end of the day willing to, to wake up with the sun and work all day to then go and sit down and continue working all night. And it's something that I think that there's a true beauty in that tenacity and in that hard work that just as much as we've lost touch with the value of handmade, we've also lost touch with, with the, the value and the outcome of that hard work. We want, so many people just want it handed to them. They, they want to be given the best of the best without putting a stitch of effort in. And so I actually, I'm just thankful that you just shared that journey with us. And there's something that you say a lot um, that I would love to um, to maybe share the history of. And I've seen the videos where you showed a history of it, but like, I'd love for the listeners to hear it. But you say, use what you have to get what you need. And when you talk about the website being where it is right now and the experiences and the workshops being where they are right now, like I, I feel like that embodies that, right? Like you, you're able to get this to everyone right now and get them what they need and what they love. Um, where, where does that saying come from? And how does it inspire you? Yeah, I love that phrase. My grandpa um, was a product of the Great Depression, and he just was very much, uh, you know, he, he wasn't a rich man. Um, and he he had he had built a life for himself, basically just um, by working hard and 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 being resourceful and being frugal. And he, uh, it was funny when he passed away, I literally cleaned up like probably a thousand um, margarine containers that he'd saved, like, because what, like, because what if you need them? But then also, I remember my entire life, he had, like, if we had, you know, if we were using nails for a project, they were in a margarine container. If he was taking um, food to the neighbor's house, like, because they, you know, they were sick, or they, you know, they needed something, it was in a margarine container. And like, it was just, um, he, he being, being a product of the Great Depression, he just knew that that's, that's how you got stuff. You, you use whatever you've got to get what you need. And he, as a maker, um, he's been my, my biggest inspiration. He passed when I was pretty young. Um, so I didn't actually learn a lot of like skills and techniques from him, but, um, I, I mean, but that was kind of where it started for me is, is is thinking about his garage and and how you could go in there and think of anything and make it. Because really, I mean, when I would go into his garage and try to make anything, it was never, okay, like, let's come up with like a materials list and then we go to the hardware store and we buy it. Like every project at, at grandpa's house started with, you straighten the nails that I've pulled out of like, you know, all the pallets in the back or whatever else. 
um, so that you have nails to use in your project, product, project. And then you look at what wood is available and you design your project to use that wood. Um, or, you know, you know, if your car's broken, then like we're going to figure out how we can use what's available to us here uh, to fix it. And so, yeah, that's it's that has followed me through my whole life. I mean, you know, growing up, my family also didn't have a lot of money. And um, it was always that if, if if we wanted something like we had to figure out a way to either make it ourselves or we we would you know, do odd jobs. Like, you know, I had like six different businesses started by the time I was 12 uh, to, you know, to be able to facilitate whatever it is that I wanted. I lied about my age when I was 13 because I knew I wanted to go to college and I was going to have to start um, saving money. So I started working, uh, you know, after school, summers, like all that stuff for, and then when I, when I went to college, I was able to graduate debt free, which then, you know, put me on a, a path to, to then not have to be paying that off as even though I wasn't making a ton of money as I was building my business and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's, I love, I love that idea. And I think that it is a lost art to be able to, to look at what you have in front of you and to use it instead of just seeing what you don't have and, um, making a list of stuff you've got to buy. And I think, I mean, even for people trying to start businesses and things like that, I mean, for me, I, I, I knew that I wanted to work for myself, mostly because of uh, certain uh, different abilities that I have. I like had a really hard time holding a job and I, I wanted to be my own boss, but I also knew that I was gonna, you know, that that even would entail a whole lot of figuring out as well. But um, in knowing that I wanted to own my own time, I, I looked at what I had available and I was like, well, how can I make this happen? Uh, and, you know, just started doing more of that uh, and for three years. And it took three years till I could afford to quit my job. And even then I was like, I'm not too good to go and clean a toilet if I have to, if I have a bill that needs to get paid, if this means that I can then eke out another month of being able to do what I love. So that's, yeah. I love that. I think your grandfather and my dad would get along really well. Cause my dad's also, uh, my, I, I'm the baby of now nine. Um, but my dad, you know, is, is most grandparents ages. Um, and he grew up during, you know, as a child of the great depression. And I remember we always, we'd, we'd hammer the nails out. We'd straighten them out. We'd use them for my dad. It was more soup cans than margarine tubs. Oh yeah. Um, like literally still to this day, his entire garage is cans. And he, you know, he would teach me how to like nail the can down so the can doesn't move and now it's a storage shelf and you know all these really cool tricks that actually you know have stayed with me as a builder um and i'm i'm one of those people that i only build out of necessity and it's the same thing like if i don't have the materials here then i figure out how to design with the materials i have and we were we were the same my dad my dad gave us each two hundred dollars when we got of driving age to go to find a car and none of them ran. And then our job was to like, he would always do this like a year before we were supposed to start driving and like we'd rebuild the cars part by part and learn about how to do that. And then we, you know, I had one car that literally every day I'd have to figure out why it wasn't starting to get it to start again. <laughs> like it was such an, and I, it was my hoopty. And it's one of those things that like he taught, 
taught us the value of that. You know, like I, I still drive, I drive a, my car is a 2003. I bought it used. I've upkept it, you know, and it's one of those things it'll drive until literally the wheels fall off, you know, as long as I take yeah. care of it. And I think that's the other value that, that he taught was that things, things aren't made to be trash. Things are made mm -hmm. to continuously be improved and built upon. And if you keep investing and where you're at, then you can keep growing with it. Um, but, you know, his, his big thing was you're never working for you and you're never working for your boss. You're working for that mom that's working three jobs to afford your product. And that defined who, who I was for, throughout my entire mm -hmm. like work career and same thing. I was, I was pulling wires and making side money with my dad when I was like five, because my hands were little enough to get in the conduit, you know, like he'd give me a quarter for the day, you know, and that was, that was hanging out with dad. So I, I like, I like the, the hustle. I think figuring out the, the side jobs and what all you can do to continuously be working and investing in where you know you're going um, is, is worthwhile. And the same thing I tell I tell starter engineers all the time. Like if you can't if you can't clean the toilet and sweep the floor, you don't deserve to run that rig. Like it's just that simple. Yeah. Like you don't understand the people that are that are lifting up this entire company if you can't go and do that. Like so, yeah, I like that. <laughs> I love that. Your dad sounds like such a guy. I like that. Literally, that would have been my ultimate dream childhood i mean not like i had an amazing childhood and i'm so thankful that for the the way that i grew up but yeah that um i desired that so much like even just like that kind of mentorship or that kind of you know whatever so i like i always say now today i'm living out like my childhood fantasies that i that i didn't get to realize then in every way i mean from from starting with the animals all the way to like my workshop and everything else but actually even to what you just said about you know things are not meant to be thrown away i think that actually is a big piece too of why i love like doing things you know the way that they used to be done uh mostly because i've never i've always struggled with like computers uh or like electronics just they they befuddle me and i've i mean i love old cars because if there's a problem with an old car like a you can like you can get in there mm -hmm. to look and see and usually it's like you can physically see there's something wrong um and then also that you can fix it because you know planned obsolescence with electronics to me is like the most just infuriating situation that i could possibly muster and so i i also like i only want to drive old cars i only want to use old tools i only want to do all these things because it they can be fixed mm -hmm. whereas you know there's not like a computer chip in them that says like after this many miles or after this many years i just shut off and i don't turn back on yeah it's funny because my my dad has the my dad has the same tools he's had since i since i was born in the early 80s and he has he had had them for decades before that you know and like he still can run every single one of those tools granted like their power cord tools so he has to run them nearby, but like there it's great. Like we, I was back doing relief work with him while he was in country and like, it was just so nice to be able to use like quality tools, you know, again, and it's a, uh, it is a planned obsolescence. Like I, I tell you all the time, give me a giant rig and I can run it. Give me a computer and I'm going to be like, 
I know how to turn it on and I know how to turn it off. And if that doesn't fix the problem, I'm going to turn it on and I'm going to turn it off again. <laughs> like, it's just, I don't know. I don't know. I think I'll always drive an old car too, though, for that reason. Like I have friends that they have to, they can't even like get a diagnostic on their car without someone else running it. And I'm like, if I open the hood and there's nothing for me to play with, like, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with the, you know, not knowing what a mechanic is doing in my vehicle. Like my dad's number one rule is never let a man touch your car. If you can fix it yourself. Cause you, he's just going to charge you way more than you, than you deserve to pay. So like, even now, if I'm on the side of the road, changing a tire and a guy pulls up and is like, Hey, can I help you? I'm like, no, I don't want you touching my car. <laughs> like, cause That's sometimes people offer help that they're not qualified to give just to be nice. You know, <laughs> that's, that was my dad's point is like, you also know more true. about a car than any guy that pulls over on the side of the road, unless he's a mechanic is going to know. So don't let them touch your car. <laughs> that's awesome. But yeah. I wish, yeah, I wish that I knew more about that stuff. I've been working on restoring a, a 1953 Chevy truck. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a project my grandpa and I always said we were going to do together, but you know, he's not around anymore. So I was like, well, I'm still going to try. Um, and I've had to involve a lot of other people in that process because I literally just don't know. I mean, I, a, a couple years ago, I didn't know how to change the oil in a car and a, you know, it's, it's been a learning process to say the least. Well, actually the first time I drove the truck uh, in Tennessee, the wheel fell off because I didn't think to check the lug nuts before because I, I didn't think of it. Like, why would I think of that? Like, aren't they supposed to be tight? <laughs> But it turns out, yes, they actually are supposed to be tight. Yeah. That's why my wheel fell off. But, you know. <laughs> well, it's funny, too, because there's a couple of reasons that a wheel can fall off. Because I remember we were moving from North Carolina. No, we had moved from North Carolina to South Carolina. And we were about to do the move to California. And we were driving the like the moving truck. And then I was driving this really old car. And I'm going, and because I know what I know about vehicles, I'm here today. Because I was going like 85 down the highway, down the interstate, and I felt my axle drop slightly. So I started to slow. I turned the music off. I started to slow. And it was a very, very like subtle movement. But it was something that I automatically was like, something just shifted in my actual like chassis, like something is going on. And so I like slowed down and I started to pick up this wobble which if you're if you're having an issue with your axle like at a high speed you're going to have that equilibrium and that balance that's going to keep everything going okay but the minute you slow you can start to actually pick up on what's really wrong and so i like phoned the moving truck i was like i'm going to pull off at this exit slowly pulled off it had sheared four out of the five lug nuts on it and it was just because the car was so old and so rusted it wasn't my vehicle i was driving someone else's vehicle and when the mechanic came to tow it he like looked at us and he's like you would have been like this would not have been okay if you had been at full speed when this happened like if you had kept going at full speed um and it's one of those things that sometimes just like those basic little knowledge things can literally save a life um but also you know like tires come off like that's the one thing like that they just do and it causes a lot of havoc when it happens oh yeah well and in my stupidity like at the time it was really funny because everything 
was okay. Yeah. And it really, actually, it really was like a pretty funny situation in retrospect because we lived. Uh, but you know that like, it wouldn't have been funny at all. And like, I still like I posted about it and I got like a lot of like young lady things about it, which I, I, I get like, but you know, it did work out okay and it is okay and you know, whatever. But yeah, like I, will I ever, ever forget to check my lug nuts again? Absolutely not. Yeah, and like I've learned to actually now when I'm rotating tires to actually look at the base of the lug nuts because mm -hmm. I've always just been like, okay, I'm gonna rotate the tires, every the threads look fine. I never thought to look at the actual union point of, of where they connect. And now it's like something that I look for and I wouldn't have before because you know, I just didn't know. <laughs> you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And it was something too that I think the main reasoning behind it was that the vehicle had been bought used from a state that had snow. And so being from North Carolina, I wasn't used to the corrosion that happens to a vehicle when you're constantly kicking up salt on it from salted roads. And so it was something that I would have never like thought to look for either. So, and I think those are the lessons that we learn sometimes the strongest. <laughs> yeah, oh, definitely. Also, don't ever buy a car from a place that it snows. My uh, my personal uh, life mantra is you get it from uh, the desert only. And then you replace all the rubber and then it's great. Yep, yep. Don't Yeah, you don't want hurricane areas and you don't want snow areas. So the desert sounds good, actually. <laughs> I think the yeah, biggest I had, I restored a Mustang before the before the truck and it was, I I spent like months looking online because I was like, not from Washington not from montana and i was like las vegas yes yeah. so <laughs> i think the the only hard thing here is um is the paint the actual layers on the paint and stuff go a lot faster Oh, because of the sun yeah because between the sun and then yeah. um in areas like like yuma and stuff like that where they have a lot of like sandstorms going you just get this like constant rubbing and it takes the oh, clear yeah. layer first and you don't notice it and then suddenly like I just like finally broke down it was like the hardest thing I'd ever done because I was like no I'm gonna learn how to paint a car that's what I'm gonna learn how to do but I just didn't end up having enough time and I was getting to the point where like the next layer was going to be like corrosion on my hood so I was like okay I'm just gonna go and have someone spot fix this but just the the top of the hood had started peeling because the like the clear layer went and then the paint layer went and I was like oh I don't know how to fix this <laughs> need to learn yeah you just get that rust-oleum clear coat spray paint just give it a new coat every couple weeks you're good <laughs> that's it should have done that <laughs> so oh wait it's Krylon Krylon, Krylon paint? that's what I used to use to polish I used to use it to polish rocks nice I used to just use sharpies on on the car <laughs> my dad used to get so mad he's like stop using sharpie on the car <laughs> i'm like but there's just a, just a little chip i'm just gonna color it in and then no one's <laughs> hey if it works it works <laughs> it does so one of the things that i like i love about you is that you are you're so genuine and you're so open and you know it's one of those things that like internet stalking you was a lot of fun because i feel like i had already gotten to like know a lot about you the few times that we've like hung out online at different events but then like hearing your interviews and all of this and, and getting to learn even more about you and even today i feel like i'm learning so much more um and i feel like that's kind of a a 
a symptom of the times, right? Like people get to know us very in depth because of online interviews and podcasts and what we share on social, um, but they don't always get to know the full us. So is there something that you think people seem to misunderstand about you or maybe something fun that they that no one would have any idea um, about you that you, you'd like to share? You don't have to share anything too secret if you don't. Oh. Well, that's okay. Secrets are most fun when they're shared. <laughs> um, well, I think something surprising that not that many people know about, but I mean, it's also not that hard to find out if you look hard enough, is that I speak fluent Chinese. Um, I went to school in Asia and I, I, I like planned on living in Asia my whole life. And so funnily enough, the, the woodworking, the farming and everything else was actually like my plan C uh, for my life because I really thought I was going to be working in a high rise in Asia for the rest of my life. And here I am using my Chinese zero days a year in Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> um, so it is that. Uh, but uh, one thing that is like, it is kind of funny that, uh, you know, it, it gets missed online because a, um, you know, I have a business and I want to like, not, you know, offend people. And I also want to like, you know, be a, be a good example and a good role model for people. But um, I am ex like extremely sarcastic. I'm a like, very dark sense of humor. And so uh, I don't get to share that like a lot because it would be misconstrued, <laughs> I think. Um, and so there is that. Uh, but also a lot of people think that because I smile all the time that I must just be like, the happiest person in the world. And I, ha I, I talk about this a lot, but I have like pretty significant struggles with like anxiety and depression amongst a lot of other things. And so being positive is actually like, I know how dark and deep things can be. And I, I like, and I try really hard to use my platform to share um, things that, that have the potential to make someone smile and to feel better because I know what, what feeling bad feels like. And so, um, yeah, people like people tend to like misconstrue me being super smiley as being like they 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 don't uh, I guess understand the, the 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 reason for it. I hear you on on like so many of those, especially the not allowing your full personality to fly. But now I understand why Craig is like such a such a big. Like, I'm like, Craig is, Craig's so funny and he's snarky and like, uh, he's like, you should, you should, after a day in the shop with me, he's like, you should know Anne. Anne and you would be like really good friends. And so now I, now I understand why, because um, my, my nickname in the shop is Little Dude, because I'm basically a 12 year old boy trapped in a woman's body, boobs. And like, I was raised by two Marines, so I have one of the dirtiest mouths and the snarkiest personalities, but none of that can be public because I work with children. <laughs> It's like having to dial it back, which is why I like some of these maker events are so amazing because they're, most of them, there's not really kids around. And so I can really like be who I am and, and at these events yeah. versus like all my other events. I have to be, I have to be um, PC, I guess is how I would say. I mean, being PC is not really all that bad. I always like, I mean, uh, so my parents are missionaries. Um, they they have been my entire life, and so they like they definitely uh, ha they've li been living with us this whole year, um, which has allowed them to like you know see some of the unfiltered 
pieces of my life and there has been some looks of disapproval to say the least but uh you know I, i i have always been very good at filtering and i have found it to be pretty important for a lot of reasons but when you are a public facing person like you know like none of these things are bad about us like that they're they're who make us who we are but also uh you know if there's little girls watching like we also i think that there's a certain standard we should hold ourselves to and i have no problem doing that um and i'm and i'm like so honored to have people tell me all the time like dads especially i love like if there's one way to like you know melt my icicle heart is is for dads to tell me that hey like because you know because i saw you you doing this i i invited my daughter into the shop or my daughter and i always do this because we watch you together or something like that it's like that kind of connection uh i'll be willing to to you know filter myself a little bit to foster that kind of situation yeah absolutely that's the fun part it's like there's the there's the shop me and then there's the shop me with kids and i'm okay with that and then also like like you're saying like when you're public facing there there is a part of that where this is your business like this is my business and so like i wouldn't go into an engineering firm and and curse either so it's basically the same you know the same principle as as what i do when i'm when i'm on social when i'm at events things like that but it is nice though to have a drink at a maker event because i'm very firm like there are not allowed to be pictures of me drinking i do not drink like publicly most often because of you know, the whole kid part of it. And you just never know who's got a camera and is taking a picture, you know? Yeah. So it's easier for me to control if I don't do it. But at maker events, you know, we all get to have some drinks and it's nice and we get to be grown up. Yeah. Very looking forward to being with makers in rooms yeah. again. I am really looking forward to that a lot. Like the last event that I did was the makers uh, camp in the cat skills. And I'm kind of hoping that that's like, that we're able to be there in person this year and do that again because that would be that would be an awesome one i think lots of blacksmithing yeah. and stuff going on i think you'd enjoy that one you should come out <laughs> nice <Yeah>. and cold <laughs> but um so this has been amazing there's one last question that i ask everyone that comes on the podcast and that is if you could have any superpower what would it be and why oh that's an excellent question um I would love the ability to teleport. Yeah. I've always said, cause you know, we lived all over the world. We've, um, I have people that I love in so many different places. I've been um, mentored by and taught by and had the opportunity to work alongside makers all over the country. And if, and I, I am generally an introvert. I really enjoy my time spent uh, by myself, but I really, really appreciate genuine human connection. And the best place that I think that that can happen is doing something alongside someone who's passionate about something. Um, so building together, cooking together, like whatever it is that that person loves, I, w- I want to do it with them. So if I were able to teleport, I would be able to do the things that the people that I love with them in their places all the time, and then be able to still come home to my farm and um, take good care of my animals at night. I love that. That's actually the, that's the power I would choose too. So <laughs> I I think teleporting is the way to go. Well, this has been yeah. absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for like sharing your maker journey with us. And I just 
I can't wait to see what's next. And I, you know, again, everyone check out School of All Trades, get what you can. This is an amazing adventure and endeavor that Anna is, is taking on. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. This was a fun one. <laughs> awesome. That's it for Tinkering Bells. This episode is assembled and ready for delivery. But I couldn't possibly do this alone. It's support from sponsors and listeners like you that make this all possible. So a big round of applause for all of you. I want to thank you for choosing Tinkering Bells as your user's manual for all things Maker on a near-weekly basis. If you want to continue to hear more, don't forget to rate and review the show on your podcasting app of choice, as well as sharing it with your friends. Can't find us? Let me know at tinkeringbellsco at gmail.com. I look forward to seeing you next week. Until then, don't forget to keep making.